Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams begins a new series entitled Gave which means to get after them aggressively. Throughout this series, we are looking at evangelism and the call on each one of us to share our faith. What is God calling you to do to get after this community with the love of Christ? What's up, church? Everybody good? I think, uh, I think we need to take just a second and celebrate 20 ladies coming to Christ yesterday. We need to put our hands together for a God who, who has come to us, who, uh, who, who when we were lost and we were stuck and we, we, we had no hope of ever coming to Christ and ever knowing God, God came to us. And that's, that's pretty amazing. That's absolutely awesome. I do want to say a big thanks to Liz and Andy and all the ladies who put that together because their heart was so much just to truly see uh, women come to know Christ and women realize how valuable they are to Jesus. And so it was an absolute great success. I'm also excited about this series we're about to kick off. It's going to be uh, obviously called Gata. We're kicking that off today. And for those of you who have, have not heard our explanation of that, we are using it to stand for get after them aggressively. Okay. Those of you who know what it usually stands for, that's not what it means. So let's just move on. If you don't know what it means, you can ask somebody after the service and they can tell you. But it stands for Get After Them Aggressively. The next four weeks, we're going to look at the purpose of the church in going out and sharing the gospel of Christ. And we're actually going to kind of kick this off really in a tangible way on October 1st when we go out into the community and we're doing things to show people the love of Jesus in a tangible way. Where We're really just going out and trying to meet any need we can possibly meet um, that, that, that people let us know about. And so if you haven't signed up for that, please sign up for that. We're going to um, really try to do some awesome some things in the community to show the love of Christ. So y'all ready today? Everybody excited? It's going to be good. I really believe this. This is going to be the best series that we've ever had at Connection. I just believe that with all my heart because I believe when you begin to tap into the reason that we exist, God begins to do things. When we begin to tap into the fact that we were created for the purpose of exalting his glory and magnifying his name and showing the grace and love of Christ, I just believe he shows up in an awesome and real way. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 today, so you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles right there, and we're going to jump into this thing, and we're going to get after it aggressively and just believe that God's going to do something awesome in our lives. Let's start out Acts chapter 1-8. I want to read one verse of scripture um, there, and then we're going to go to Acts chapter 8. I want to read 1 through 4, and we're going to pray, and we're going to dive in. Acts 1 verse 8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love, your grace, your mercy, Lord. I pray that today, Father, we would be challenged and encouraged to step into the purpose you created us for, which is proclaiming your glory, proclaiming the praise and the magnificence and the the mighty works that you have done, Lord. And God, just just move our hearts, Father, that that not only would we we experience God, um, your voice in our life today, not only will we be prompted by you, Lord, but that we would respond. God, that our faith would produce works that glorify your name. We pray it all in in, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I got a confession. I I have to confess to you um, that, that there's 
something in my life that I've been trying to do and I have really, really been struggling. Um, I have been trying to go on a diet and it's not working at all. How many of you ever try to go on a diet and, you know, you try until you get hungry, right? And then it all falls apart. And I'm like, dang, man, that's the, that's the hard part about a diet, you know, is, is when you're hungry. When you're not hungry, it's no problem. Like you eat a big supper, you're like, tomorrow I'm starting a diet. I, I can do it this time. And you wake up in the morning, and you're like, no, I, I need some bacon and eggs. And, you know, you just, it's hard to do. And, and so I realized, you know, the other day I was like, man, I got to do something. I'm eating terrible. It's like all this food I don't need to be eating. And I've been eating it. And, and But I realized I have just like just, I'm just weak, man. My willpower is weak. And, and, and I went to the grocery store the other day. I don't know. Some of you probably done this. You went to the grocery store when you were hungry. That's horrible. Especially when you're trying to watch what you eat and you go to the grocery store hungry and it's like you go into this trance and I'm just like, and everything you see, you're like, oh, I got to have that. And so you just walk out with all this stuff. I went, listen, no joke. I went in for formula and baby food. I came out with a box of Oreos, a half gallon of milk, and a box of Captain Crunch. <laughs> I mean, I seriously, and I, I, the whole thing, every bit of it almost is gone now. And so, and it was so hard. And, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this too, but, but when, when, when we need to do something that we know is what's best for us, that we know we need to, we need to take care of... It almost, it takes something very profound to make us actually follow through with it, doesn't it? When do most people finally go on that diet? When, when they go to the doctor and the doctor's like, listen, you don't lose about 50 pounds, you're going to die. Then you can kind of start doing it, right? Or people, how many people have quit smoking cigarettes because they went to the doctor and the doctor finally said, listen, if you don't quit smoking cigarettes, you got, you, you're not going to be here much longer. And they quit smoking cigarettes. And, and it takes something really profound. It takes something that, that, that's major in our lives sometimes to push us past those forces, that nicotine craving or that food craving or whatever it is that's working against us. And see, I had that happen to me the other day at the gym. I really think now I can do this diet. I, I was running on the treadmill because, see, when I was younger, I could run on the treadmill, eat whatever I wanted, and not gain weight. That don't happen anymore. Like, I, I, can, I can look at a cheeseburger now and gain weight. Right. And, and, and I'm running on the treadmill and I'm running and I'm really trying to run hard. And, you know, it's probably like an 11 minute mile, but I'm, I'm thinking like I'm smoking. I'm thinking everybody around me is probably pretty impressed with how fast I'm running, but it's probably like an 11 minute mile and, and I'm sweating everywhere. And all of a sudden the treadmill starts slowing down. I'm like what in the world has happened? I've broken it. I was running so fast. I broke the treadmill and, and, and I'm thinking the treadmill's broken. Well, I look down and it says paused. And I'm like, why is it pause? And then I realized I had gotten close to the bar and my belly had lapped over the bar and, and hit the pause button that's on the handle in case of emergency. And so my belly, like literally my belly stopped the treadmill. And so then I'm like, you know, trying to play it off, trying to push the buttons, get it going again. But that was sort of that wake up moment for me. That was that moment when I realized like I have got to do something. I mean, my belly has stopped the treadmill. That is the point at which you have to do, you know, make up your mind. Like I can't eat like this anymore. I've got to do something different. And, and, and here's the thing that I realize about life is until what we gain is viewed as greater than what we give up, we'll never be intentional about what we purpose ourselves to do. You get that? Say that again. I don't know if I can say it again. I'm going to try that. Until what, what, until what we gain is viewed as greater than what we give up, we will never be intentional about what we purpose to do. Got it? 
Until this thing that we see, like until losing weight is viewed as greater than having to give up food, we'll never do it. We'll never do it. That's why like I start a diet and I fail. I start to work out and I fail because I don't really, I mean, come on, man. I'm 35, married with three kids. I don't care about looking good in a bathing suit. It don't matter. Like when I was 20 and I'm courting my wife, I'm like, I got to look good. Now she's like, I love you no matter what. I'm like, thank God. And so this is the reality that in, in, until what we view, listen, until quit smoking or, or quit having sex or, or whatever it is, until that thing is viewed as greater than what we give up, we'll never do it. We will never, ever do it. And you know, it comes back to our relationship with Jesus in the same way. Until we view gaining Jesus as greater than the things we give up to follow him, we will never fulfill the purpose in which we were created to do. We never will. Until, until we get to a point where we realize the riches of Christ are so much better than anything else I could possibly gain, we will never, ever fulfill our purpose. Ever. And here's the thing I would tell you. There's some kind of misconception that's floating around in the United States and in an American church that says it won't cost you anything. Where did that come from in Scripture? Because when I read it, it says, listen, you've got to count the cost of being my disciple. It is going to cost us. But here's the thing. Does it cost us anything of real value? No. And it's what we perceive as valuable that so many times holds us back from pursuing Christ. It's what we perceive as more important, whether it's how much money is in the bank, whether it's what kind of job we've got, whether it's how people esteem us and honor us, whatever that is, it, we deem it as more valuable. And listen, the thing that we deem as the most valuable will always dictate the actions in our life. Period. There, 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 there's no, nothing. What you deem to be the most valuable will dictate your trajectory in life. Until we, until we value Christ above all things, above everything else, we will never, ever fulfill the ultimate purpose that we were created for. See, here's the thing. You don't wake up one day when you're like 80 years old, about to go be with Jesus, and, and have accidentally fulfilled the purpose in your life. It doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen accidentally. See, when I was in the roofing business, um, I had one small problem when I was a roofer. I was in the roofing business for about 10 years. I would encourage you. If God can use a roofer to do anything, he can use you, right? I, I, and I was in the roofing business for about 10 years. Um, work doing that. I mean, it was, it was hard, hot work. That's why I became a preacher. I'm just, that's not why I became, I, I really, that's not, I wasn't running from that. But, but I, I worked there and I had one problem with being a roofer. One problem, I was afraid of heights. And that's an issue, right? Because I spent most every day on a roof. And, and I never, ever found myself on the roof without having to think about it and talk myself into it. I never levitated up on the roof to do what I was sitting there to do. I had to look at it and go, okay, at least if I fall, I'm saved. I mean, because I, I, I was scared. And see, I had these forces working against me. Gravity was working against me. And see, the fall never scared me. It was hitting the ground that bothered me. Like, like I, I knew the fall would be kind of like fun, be like, woohoo, and there's like, splat. And so the fall, was, it was hitting the ground. I knew gravity worked against me. I knew that if I slipped, that if I fell, it was going to be over. And gravity, was, and my fear was working against me. 
And what we need to realize is that in our faith walk, in our faith journey, there are real forces that work against us. One is our, 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 the spiritual enemy. The Bible is very clear that there really is a devil. There really are demons. And it even says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. He really exists. I don't think he's like hiding behind every door, like boo. But he's there. It's a force. Your flesh is a force. Come on, that's why, that's why diet is so hard. Why? Because you start going in. I mean, Paul even says, you know, your stomach is your God. I'm like, I can relate to that. When it says eat, I need to eat. And so sometimes man, we, our flesh, it begins to hold us back. There are real forces that want to keep us, that try to keep us from moving in the direction and fulfilling the purpose that God has for us. But the good news is there is no force that is greater than our God. And we just sang it, right? We just sang it. But, but listen, there's nothing that is greater than our God. And we truly do have the victory. And we truly can fulfill our purpose. But I think the first thing we need to do, guys, today, as we begin to look at this Gator series, we need to redefine our purpose. How many of you have ever heard, and this is something that's really awesome. I, I heard it a couple of times, but I, I want to share it with you today because I don't think everybody's heard it. How many of you have ever heard of cat and dog theology? Anybody? A few people? Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. But first of all, I need to clarify, I don't like cats, okay? I know some of you will come up to me after the service and be like, you offended me. You don't like cats. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't like any animal that thinks it's smarter than me. I do not. <laughs> and, and they do. You cannot deny it. I don't care how much you love your cat, but you go up and you start calling your cat. You're like, come here, kitty, kitty, kitty. And he just looks at you like, I ain't coming over there. <laughs> it's like, you, he, he's even like this. He's like, you have totally... We need to redefine the relationship. You have totally missed the concept of how this relationship works. The cat's like, I come to you when I want to. You come to me when I want you to. And, and that's how it works. The cat thinks, thinks he's in control. And, and, and that's why I love dogs, man. Because they just, they just love you. Right? They just love you. It's like, come here, dog. You know, tongue flying all over the place. They just come running up to you. You can even be mean to me and be like, bad dog, bad. And they're like, you know, they still come up to you. They just do. They, they, lo- they just love you. And see, here's this thing with the cat and dog theology. There's this one, one side that says, listen, the cat is there. And, and it's like the master is taking care of the cat. And, 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 and he's feeding it. And he's giving it water. And he's taking it to the vet. And, and, and he's doing all these things for this cat. And he's making sure everything is taken care of. And so the cat looks at it and goes, Hmm. My master's taking care of me. I must be God. And so the cat sets himself up and he goes, look, everything exists for me. I am the cat, right? But then you got the dog. The master cares for it. He waters it. He loves it. He, he, he feeds it. He, I mean, he, he, he takes great care of it. And the dog goes, Wow. My master loves me. Oh my gosh, I love my master. (laughs) You know, I mean, he absolutely loves his master. Why? Because he's taking care of him. He loves. And so he looks at his master and he's like, that must be God. And I owe him all of my affection. Here's the thing I see, guys, just to be really honest. and, And we all have had bouts with this. We got too many cats in the church. 
We got too many people that look at the love of God and somehow the love of God and the value that God has placed on our life makes us turn and look at ourselves and go, must be about me. And it's not. Our purpose is not to indulge ourselves. Our purpose is, listen, to feast at a heavenly banquet that God has prepared for us. A spiritual feast that he has for us, not just when we get to heaven. Right now, people. Right now. That God has prepared more for us. You'll see this in, in a few minutes. God has prepared more for us than we could ever possibly exhaust in this lifetime. He's prepared a great purpose for us. Our purpose is to glorify the one who has provided, who has poured his life out for us, who has given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. That's an awesome privilege. That is an absolutely awesome privilege. And this is what I know. Listen, you will never give up more than you gain in God. Y'all ought to say amen to some of this stuff. I'm telling you. Y'all just looking at me like y'all stayed up too late last night. But listen, you, you will never give up more than you gain in God. You will never, ever, ever. I want to read to you Ephesians 1. Because, listen, the Bible teaches us that he has showered more on us than we could ever exhaust. Listen to this. Even right now. I'm going to read to you Ephesians 1, 1 through 9. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. Listen, with every spiritual blessing in Christ, Paul's going to tell tell us what those are. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. He chose us to be holy and blameless. To be holy and blameless. Anybody holy and blameless in here? No, not apart from Christ. But he chose us to be holy and to be blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. It was his pleasure to invite us into his family to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Listen, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ Jesus. Now let me summarize this just a little bit for you. Verse three says that he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Verse four says he chose you before you were created to be better than you could ever possibly be on your own. Verse five says he adopted you as a son and daughter with full rights and full standing as a son, as a daughter. If you are in Christ, you have been adopted in and the same grace that brought you in is going to secure the fact that you're never separated from God again. That is awesome. It's like my children, man, they are in my family. Good days and bad days. My boys, they are in my family. I'm never kicking them out. They're mine. They didn't do anything to start the relationship, right? Did they? No. But they're in the family. And we need to realize that God has adopted us in. Listen, verse 7 says that he redeemed you, meaning that he paid a price for you that you could never pay because you incurred a debt that you could never 
forever pay off and that you would forever owe. Listen, I've said this before, but I'm going to say it until we grab hold of it. To be redeemed, the best way to relate that word is to think about slave trade, to think about, about people who were literally sold into slavery. And there were times when people would go and they would purchase a slave for the, the reason of simply setting them free. They would go and they would buy them and then they would say, now you're free. Go and do what it is that you were created to do. And what we need to realize, people, is that when the Bible says that we were redeemed by his blood, it means that we were purchased back from the hand of Satan. It means that we were set free by the power of God. It means that sin and death no longer have a hold on us. And Paul is saying this is an incredible spiritual blessing that now you don't have to stand outside the temple. The veil was torn and you can go into the presence of God. That's an awesome spiritual blessing. Verse 8, it tells us we don't have to worry about his grace running out. We don't have to worry about his grace running out. He lavished it on us. You know what that literally means? Is he gave us an abundance. His grace, his grace, his unmerited favor. Listen, it is his mercy, his forgiveness. The fact that he died on a cross taking the wrath of God so that you and I don't have to take it. He lavished that grace on us. We're never going to outrun it. We're never going to out, out, out go from it. We're, we're, we're never going to run out of it. He gives it so that we can live for his glory. The last verse, verse 9, it says that he made known to us our purpose. See, it, it's a mystery to those who don't know Christ. But for those who know Jesus, we don't have to wonder about why we're here. We don't have to, what is God's will for my life? God's will for your life is to glorify him. That's it, period. I think so many times we get so wrapped up in what's my major going to be? What's my job going to be? Where am I going to live? What am I going to do? And I think so many times God is so much not worried about those specifics as much as he is what you're doing right now. Are you glorifying him where you are right now? Has Jesus come in and changed your heart to the point that people actually look at you and the good works of your life that come through faith in Christ? Do they actually look at your life and praise God? Because that's what the Bible says will happen. When we begin to step into our purpose to glorify him, to praise him. I want to pick up in Acts chapter 8 now. See, in Acts 1.8, God is very clear. Jesus tells them, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to wait in Jerusalem until power comes on, to, on you. And, and, and you'll receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You'll have power to go. And he's very clear. I want the whole world to know me. I want the whole world to see my glory. I want you to fulfill your purpose in the whole world by magnifying me and glorifying me. The problem is we get over to Acts chapter 8. They've been through seven chapters in the Bible and they're still in Jerusalem. They're still in Jerusalem. Time has passed. The church has exploded. I mean, it has exploded in Jerusalem. People are being saved left and right. The church is growing. They even have problems with making sure that some widows are being taken care of because there were so many people and they had to start structuring the church to take care of folks and doing all this stuff. And, 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 and then there's this problem because the church explodes. But the real problem is this. Every one of them still in Jerusalem. And they had become complacent. And there was this one guy named Stephen who... He was a table waiter. If you go read Acts chapter 6, he waited on tables. 
the old ladies who, who weren't getting their food, the widows. He was waiting on tables and he was making sure they would get their food. But God called him from that. He prepared him in that, which is a good word for some people in here. Listen, don't shun the small beginnings. Don't, 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 uh, don't, don't think because you're working in the parking lot that, 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 that it's not important. Don't think that you're too good to work in the parking lot. Don't think you're too good to come set up. Because listen, if we can't be faithful with that, how is God ever going to use us to do anything? If we can't be faithful right where we are in our job to share our faith, how can I, listen, the Bible teaches very clearly that, that, that every part is important. But it's so funny how many people want to stand on the stage and they want to preach the word, but they're not willing to go and do other things that they deem as less important. But in my opinion, listen, if we're too good to do the things that, 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 that we don't stand in the lights to, to be seen by others, then we're not good enough to handle the word of God. Because our heart is not right. And so Stephen was faithful. And then see, he preaches this message. It's actually, I mean, how awesome would it be to preach a message and you get an entire chapter in the Bible? That would be sweet, right? So Stephen preaches in Acts chapter seven. Stephen's throwing down, man. And it's not like, you know, if you'll give a little bit to God, he'll get you some nice uh, Italian shoes and a nice car. It wasn't like that. It was not like, he was like this. He was like, you Jews killed the son of God. And you're going to all die. And you killed him and you're going to go to hell. And he's just laying it on them. And there's parts in there where you're like, Stephen, dude, just chill out. This is about to get bad for you, man. They killed Jesus. They will kill you too. Stop. But he keeps laying it on heavier and heavier. And he's going to town and they begin to stone him. They stone him. They, 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 they throw all these rocks on him. And, and it's just, and, and, and man, he ends up giving his life for the gospel. And what happens is, is Saul, who became Paul later, he, uh, he's standing there watching the whole thing. Many people think he actually instigated the whole incident to kill Stephen because they were trying to squash out the gospel. But you know what's amazing is the things that the devil does to try to keep the gospel from going forward actually serve as a springboard to make it explode. It's always happened that way. Whenever people were pushed out of their complacency, the gospel exploded. It still happens today. Many revivals have broken out because, not because people had it made, but because people were persecuted. Because people were pers- because they didn't have it made and they were forced out of their complacency. My prayer is that we today would be forced out of our complacency and we would begin to step into the purpose that God has for us. Listen, some of us are doing that. Some of us are, are, are pouring into people's lives. We're investing in people. We're encouraging people. We're inviting people to church. We're sharing the gospel with them. But listen, we can, do, we can even go further than that. Some of us need to start. Some of us need to step up and realize like, like that's our call. That's our purpose. And my prayer is today we'd be pushed beyond our complacency. But see, here's the awesome thing about Acts chapter 8. The Bible says that, that, that when the disciples, the apostles, and, and all these people were being persecuted, it says that they all scattered except for the apostles. The apostles were still in Jerusalem. And it says that those others went out and they began to do what? Preach the gospel. They began to preach the gospel and the church began to explode in the entire known world. Why? 
Because people realized that they were empowered to preach the gospel and they didn't have to depend on a priest or a preacher or a pastor, but within them was within them is the gospel and that they could share it. Listen, you don't have to give some kind of like discourse on the Trinity when you bring somebody to Christ. All you got to do is tell them what God did in your life. That's all we got to do. And, and we can do that. And the church saw its greatest growth when not the clergy, not the pastor, not the minister, not the priest began to preach the gospel, but when the people began to preach the gospel. And that's my challenge to you today. Are you willing to step up today? Or not, not listen, not just be, be prodded to share your faith, but today actually respond to God's prodding, to God's prompting for you to step up and begin to share your faith. Now, you know, listen, you don't have to walk around with your Bible under your arm all the time. People just going to think you're goofy. Like, I, like Christians would be like, that is awesome. But unbelievers are going to be like, that dude is weird. And I'll tell you to be ashamed of the word. That's not what I'm saying. Because I was hear somebody like, well, I don't believe that you said that the people are in the Bible. Are That's not what I'm saying. What I'm telling you is, listen, we've got to meet people where they are. We got to meet them where they are. And and listen, most unbelievers, they don't care if you carry your Bible. Why don't you carry the Bible that's written on your heart? Carry the love of God with you wherever you go. Make time in your day to share Jesus's love. Go out of your way to, to help somebody. Even when it inconveniences you a little bit. Sharing the heart and the love of Christ. That's why we exist, to connect people to God, to connect people to each other, and in that for God's glory, to be exalted. That's what we're here for. That's why we are called to this place. And so these people were scattered, man. They went all over the place, and they're preaching the gospel. But see, here's the thing that I realized. I realized this. There was a complacency that was happening in Jerusalem. And and then when they went out, they were willing to risk their life preaching the gospel. They're like, we're going to preach, man. We're going to do this. And what was it that made them go out? What was it that that, that made this thing go on that when they got out, they were like, we got to tell people. Because I believe if we see or or we experience what they experienced, then then we'll have to talk about it. it. It'll be like some of us when we talk about Georgia Southern football or Georgia football, we just have to talk about it. Or high school football. And people lose their mind in Georgia over high school football. It's like, whoa, high school football. 14-year-olds running around in tight pants, chasing a pigskin. Woohoo! I mean, it's awesome. I played. I love it. But we lose. And, 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 and yet we have the opportunity to know and declare the praises of the God of the universe. That is absolutely incredible. I want to tell you today, I want to give you four things real quick. And we're not going to be long. I promise. We've been going long. I apologize. Messages are long. I'm sorry. But I'm glad Joey went longer than I did last week. Because then I can be like, see guys, I told you. Not just me. So, but I, I do, I want to tell you four things real quick that I believe that, 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 that made them intentional about fulfilling their purpose. That showed them that, listen, living for God and declaring his glory and his praise is so much better than anything else I'm going to gain. It's so much better than my reputation. It's so much better than, than, than what people think about me. It's so much better than me being uncomfortable because I would rather be about the kingdom than about my being comfortable. And we're going to look at these, these four things really 
quick. I believe the first thing that made them intentional was that the message wasn't something they believed. It was who they were. Message wasn't something they just believed. It was who they were. In other words, they were convinced. They were convinced. They knew. They were fully persuaded, as the Bible puts it, that God would do everything he said he would do. And they knew it. They actually believed the message. Which, by the way, is a prerequisite of salvation. Like you don't, you don't get saved because your grandparents were saved or because your parents were saved. You get saved because you believe the message of Christ. You believe the message of Jesus dying on the cross. And you believe that if you don't accept him, bring him as your Savior. Say, God, you have opened my eyes and I see him today as my Savior. And I'm going to trust in him for my salvation. That is when we come to salvation. But they were convinced of it. They knew, like, man, th- this is the truth. There's no doubt in my mind. And see, when we're convinced of something, when we value something that way, when we know it, then we'll go and we'll begin to proclaim it to people. We'll begin to tell people because they were fully persuaded. I wonder, are we really convinced of the message? Are we? Deep inside, are we really convinced that, listen, if people don't hear this message and people don't trust Christ as their Savior, that they will truly spend eternity separated from God? Do we? Because if we do, how is there not some sense of urgency when we all have friends, we all have family, there are people all around us who if they die right now, they would spend eternity separated from God. If we truly believe the message, then why? how do we put our head on a pillow at night if we truly believe the message? If we truly believe that apart from God, people die and go to hell. And so we do things like this. We, we do things like this. We say, we need to witness. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of the buzzword. In the we need to witness. And that's like cute. I mean, like witness. And, and, and you know what we, we usually do when we witness? We like, we put a bumper sticker on our car and we wear a Christian t-shirt. And that's our witness. And by the way, the t-shirts and the bumper stickers make absolutely no sense to unbelievers. Like you wear a shirt that says something about the blood and they're like, what, are they a vampire? <laughs> they don't know. And listen, I've never seen anybody come to Christ. And I can tell you, I do not believe it's ever happened because of the way you made a lane change. Right? Like they saw the bumper sticker, figured out you were a Christian. And they're like, wow, did you see how they changed lanes? Oh God, forgive me. Deliver me from my pornography. Get me out of this impure relationship. Because of the way we, it doesn't work. That's what, that's what you mean. Listen, I want to tell you, the word for witness in Greek is actually a word that's pronounced martis. I think that's how you pronounce it. That's how we're pronouncing it today anyway. Martis. What do you think came from that word? Martyr. And that word literally means, it, it represents someone who died a, a death for faith and literally a violent death for the faith. And here's the thing that I realize, guys, whether we die a physical death for faith or whether we die as a martyr daily to ourselves so that God can be glorified in us, if the gospel is going forward, we have to die. We have to die. We will never fulfill the purpose of God in our flesh. It will always be because we have died to the things we desire so that God can live his life through us. Stephen died because he was stoned. 
with rocks, you know, like actually stone. He died. And we're going to have to die too. Listen, we, if we're going to spread the gospel, if we're going to revolutionize this community, if God is going to use us to bring his glory to Statesboro, Georgia, and the surrounding areas, it will be because we died to ourselves. That doesn't happen until you really believe the message. And you make a decision to be intentional that every morning my feet hit the floor and probably need to do it before your feet hit the floor because most of us probably, by the time our feet hit the floor, we're going 100 miles an hour. We really need to make up our mind that today I'll be intentional about sharing my faith. The second one I want to tell you, they had seen and experienced the glory of God. They had seen and experienced the glory of God. Now, does that seem kind of abstract to anybody? It's like you hear a preacher and they're like, glory to God. And you're like, what the heck does that mean? I, you know, I mean, what does, it, what does it really mean? Glory to God. It seems so abstract. It seems so like hard to wrap your mind around. And I believe one reason it's hard to wrap our mind around is because we can't. The glory of God is so huge. I mean, we see it in, in, the, in the, the sun, the moon, the trees, the, everything that's been created. We see the glory of God. How can we wrap our mind around that? I mean, you go to Exodus chapter 33 and Moses is there and he's like, God, you got me leading these stubborn people. I, you know, if you're not going with me, I'm not going to do this. He's like telling God he's not going to do it. And God's like, I don't need you. But God, God, in his grace, his mercy, he says, listen, Moses, here's the deal. I'll go with you. And Moses says, well, God, listen, if, if you're going to go, show me your glory. God's like, mm, I don't think you really want me to do that, Moses. Because if I show you my glory, you're going to be a dust pile on this mountain. And so he said, I'll tell you what, Moses, this is what we'll do. I'm going to put you in this, the cleft of this rock, this little place in this rock, and I'm going to set you there, and this is what's going to happen. I'm going to pass by you. And when I pass by, this is what you can, I will tell you, you open your eyes, you can see my backside. That's basically what he said. You can see my butt. But you know what's awesome? Moses only got to see God's butt, but he didn't ask to see it again, did he? You know Why? Because God's got enough for us in his pinky to last us for eternity. And so Moses, listen, and here's the deal, guys, that he had to show him his back. What's the most identifying feature on anyone? You might be able to recognize somebody you're real familiar with, like, like, you know, that you see all the time, like from their back and the way they stand or the way they walk. But pretty much the only way to for sure identify them is to do what? Look at their face. And God said, Moses, if you look at my face, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good because my glory is so much. You can't even handle it. Like you, you can't even fathom the, 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 the true attributes of who I am. You, you can't understand the glory. He is so magnificent and so majestic that we cannot fathom who he is. He, he, he lavishes us with that. He gives it to us. He says, listen, come on guys. Come on girls. Come get all you want because for eternity you'll never run out. And still though, it seems so, so abstract. It seems so far out there. And so today I want to give you a way that, that we see the tangible evidence of God's glory. I mean, the tangible evidence of the glory of the creator 
of the universe. And, and the way we do that, guys, is through his grace. Through his grace. Ephesians 1.6 calls it his glorious grace because it is truly glorious. The fact that God forgave us, the fact that God brought, him to a, brought us to himself. It's a glorious grace. And there's two ways we see it tangibly. The first one is we see the grace of God, the glory of God in our own life. His grace is poured out in our own life. And we begin to manifest the character and the attributes of God's glory, which is his glory. It is the persona of who he is. He in and of himself is glory. And we begin to manifest that. Does that seem a little odd to anybody that you and I actually have the ability to manifest the glory of the God of the universe? Moses couldn't see him face to face and yet somehow we can manifest the glory of God? The only reason is because of Jesus. The only reason that we don't blow slap up is because of Jesus. Because Jesus took the wrath of God. He appeased the wrath of God. He, it's basically like if, if, if one of my children did something wrong and Susan was about to spank him and all the wrath of Susan, which is fierce, man, I'm telling you, all the wrath of Susan is like, head spinning around and, she come, and she's about to spank him. And, and instead of me over there going, get him, Susan, get him. And instead of me doing that, if I go up and I'm like, get me instead. And she's just like, whap, whap, whap. Just wearing me out. And I'm like, oh, you know, but, but look, 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 I appease the wrath. That's a silly, simple example. And it starts so, falls so far short of what God did for us. But Jesus appeased the wrath of a holy God so that you and I can actually know him. So that you and I can come to him and we can be filled with his glory. So we see the glory of God as God's grace works in us, as God changes our heart and it begins to flow out of us. Listen to me. If God's never changed your heart, then the first step is we need to introduce you to Jesus. And that can happen today because he's a changer of hearts and a changer of lives. And once you meet him, you'll never be the same again. Your trajectory will turn from sin and it'll begin to move towards God. And that's what he offers to us. The second way that we see the grace of God working is we see it in the lives of other people. We see it in the lives of, of, of other people as they come into Christ. It's like the little girl in high school who had the pigtails and the braces and nobody wanted to date her. And then you come back for the 10-year reunion and everybody's like, who, the, who, who is that? And everybody's like, that's so-and-so. And you're like, no. Beautiful. Listen, it's like that. It's like when you you meet people who have an encounter with Christ and it was like they were a serial killer before and they meet Christ. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know, the most godly person, you know. And for some people, it's a huge change right there. For some people, it's a gradual change. And we can't be the judge of who's saved and who's not. All we can do is point them to Christ and encourage them on their walk. But we begin to be moved more towards godliness. And listen, here at Connection, we show these testimony videos all the time. You've been here more than one time. You've probably seen a testimony video. And the reason we show this is not to say, look at Connection Church. We show these videos because they show the glory of God working in people's lives. And in case you missed it, we're going to show you one more. This is absolutely awesome. So I hope you enjoy this video. I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. My father was angry, disappointed with his lot in life. He made it known early that he wanted a male 
child as his firstborn, and I was not a male child. I learned how to feel not good enough, less than, at an early age, just not good enough. My home life was less than ideal. Um, I looked for escape, you know. I, I wanted any excuse to be away from home. And I found a church that um, I started attending. You know, my family didn't attend, but I did. I left home, you know, at a, at a young age, at 14. And my life was, you know, I drifted from place to place, from man to man, from drug to drug. Um, I, I made a life of being the life of the party. All the years that that went on, I still didn't find what I was looking for. There was a hole inside that all the drugs and alcohol and men couldn't fill. My life led me to walking the streets, um, doing what a woman would do just to get my next fix. It led me to jails all over the country. It led me to um, Claxton Boot Camp twice. It led me to Pulaski State Prison twice. Um, upon my release from my last prison stay, which was December 2009, I came back here to Statesboro, and I started looking for a church. I, I knew that I couldn't do the things that I was doing. I wanted something more, and I knew that there was more out there. I just wasn't sure how to find it. I had an idea that, that God would have something to do with it. And I was still trying to fill that hole. Early this this year, I made my choice and I decided on Connections Church. Um, Brandon's message spoke to me and touched me, and I, I I learned to step out on a little bit of faith. I joined the church and I joined the meditation group and I joined the women, a women's Bible study group, and even knowing some of my past. Person in the Connections Church, my meditation group, or the women's Bible study ever made me feel less than. They welcomed me with open arms and open hearts. I, I still have some legal issues. I'm currently on parole. And a few months back, my parole gave me a, um, an ultimatum. You know, I needed to find a job, and I had, you know, a limited amount of time to find that job. And the, the people here at Connections stepped up to the plate and they offered me a job in a church office when when the church was moving and I tried to be as helpful as I could and do all that I could um, the little money that I that I was getting paid I, I tithed faithfully that little job led someone else from the church found another job and told me about it and because of their recommendation I wound up with a little bit better job and I'm, I'm now in recovery myself, and I, I, I get the opportunity to work with other women who are in the same position, who struggle with the same struggles, who have been in the same places that I've been, and God has just blessed me. I look to Him every day. My God-tos have changed. You know, I don't got to get up in the morning. I get to get up in the morning. I don't got to go to church. I get to go to church. I don't got to share message. I get to share God's message. I know today that God
God is working in my life. My reliance on Him is very important to me. Left to my own devices, you know, I, I get me walking up and down Main Street. I get me in jail. I get me in boot camp. You know, I think myself right into prison and rehab and drug addiction. It's only by God's grace and mercy and loving. I'm able to sit here today and tell you the awesome work that God has done in my life. He's changed my heart. He's changed my life. He's changed everything. And I will all to Him. Amen. That is, uh, that is to the glory of God. That lives are changed. Listen, listen, listen. Nobody we ever put up here on the video is perfect, including our staff. The reason we showed so many people that are on staff or married to staff in the last series is because we want you guys to realize we're not perfect. We struggle just like you do. The people whose videos you see, they're not perfect. It's not because we're, we're, we're good enough. No, listen, it's because God is doing something in our hearts. It's because we need to tell, we want people to know. Listen, come to him imperfect and receive his perfection and watch him work his perfection out in your life so that people look at your life and glorify him. That's what it's about. But see, here's the deal. Until, until we experience his glory, his grace in our life, until it, it becomes who we are, we will never proclaim the glory of God. We'll never proclaim the message of Christ. We'll never lift up the majesty and and, and the splendor of who God is until we have encountered the grace of God. Number three, we're going to get through these pretty quick here. They had seen the beauty of the church being the church. They had seen the beauty of the church. Listen, there is nothing more beautiful than the church when it functions as the church. My question is when people look from the outside at the church today, is it beautiful? Is that what they, do they walk away and say it's beautiful? I don't know. Listen, I believe we need to press into God so much that people look at the church and there's something so divine about it that they look at it and they go, I don't know, man. Sometimes I think those people are crazy, but God's got to be doing something. When people bring cars to other people because theirs broke down and it's not really able to be repaired. That's the, that's the church being the church. When, when we take care of folks who, who are down and who are out instead of kicking them. The church is the only group I've ever seen that shoots their wounded. When we become the church, listen, realizing the beauty that God has given us, we're not beautiful because of who we are. I doubt seriously anybody in this service right now will ever be on the cover of a magazine of the world's 100 most beautiful people. I mean, look around. Probably not. But see, here's the thing. If we can realize that morally and behaviorally, we are still sinners, we make mistakes, but in Christ, our identity is perfection and beauty. It changes everything. Listen, girls, do you understand your beauty in Christ? Do you realize that God has created a godly man for you to spend the rest of your life with? Do you realize you don't have to settle for less? Do you realize that? 
Do you realize that in Christ you're beautiful? And guys, listen, I know it don't make sense to you for me to say you're beautiful in Christ. I mean, that, you know, we're like, I ain't beautiful, I'm handsome. You know, but, but it's like, we are, we're beautiful, we're spotless, blameless. And this is the thing I see too much. I see, see young girls, I see college girls who are so wrapped up in their identity because of what some jerk is telling them. Let me tell you something, girls. If his satisfaction is found in your pants and not in Jesus Christ, move on. Move on. God's got better things for you. God has got better things for you. But listen, girls, here's the other thing. Don't think you can chum the water and not attract sharks. Huh? Don't think you can walk around with your booty hanging out your britches and think you're not going to attract some sharks. But see, when you begin to realize how beautiful you are in Christ, when you begin to realize your identity in Jesus, you don't have to do that. And listen, one more word of warning. What you do to get him, you'll have to do to keep him. So what do you want, girls? Do you want to live in the beauty of Jesus? Do you want to walk in that? Come on, guys, listen, listen, listen. Do do we really have respect for ourselves because of what Jesus did? Not because of how big our portfolio is or how other people esteem us, but because of Jesus, because of the beauty he's bestowed upon us. Listen, number four, they had seen the power of God in the church. There's a time, I think I've told this story many times. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I almost burnt down our entire community out in middle ground. I, uh, I lit a fire. I thought it went out. It didn't. I came home from church the next day, looked out. The whole woods were on fire. And it was like, oh my gosh, we run down there with hose pipes. Susan gave me a pair of bedroom shoes to go put the fire out with. I was like, dang. You know, and, and so we're, we put this fire, we finally get the fire out. And but the next day, it even tried to come back again. And, and you know what happened? Is the fire burned so deeply down into this old pine straw that, that it just kept being blown up. It kept being blown up. It kept being blown up. And you know what happens? Every time Satan tries to put out the fire of the church, God just blows on it a little bit and it just flames up bigger than it was before. And every time Satan threw a stone on Stephen, he thought he was damming up the gospel. What he didn't realize is that every stone was about to break a dam of the Holy Spirit that was going to flood into the earth and change the face of the earth. And my prayer today is that God is hitting your heart. He's just poking in your heart and he's prodding in your heart and he's moving in your heart and that a dam is about to break forth in the church and that people are going to go out and they're going to show the love of Christ and we're going to see people's lives changed and there won't be enough video to be able to proclaim the good works that Jesus has done. That's the call of the church. That's what we're here for. That is our purpose. That's what we're called to do. You couldn't stop the disciples. Listen to me, church. You were part of a movement because you're part of the body of Christ. You're part of the big church, the big C. He can't stop us. He can't. He can't. When we go and we go in the power of the Spirit, it can't be stopped. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Yes. But is it going to be worth it? Yes. We can't be stopped. Jesus said it himself, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. He founded it on Peter. Peter was a moron apart from Christ. He was. 
And he said, you're the rock. And you know the other disciples looked at Jesus and go say, huh? Peter? But God uses imperfect people. He uses imperfect people like me, like Christine, like John, like Kim. He uses imperfect people like you. And don't sit there today or walk out of this service going, well, he wasn't talking to me. I'm talking to you. Number one, you're imperfect. Number two, you've been made righteous if you're in Christ. And number three, he desires to use you in a major way, whether it's greeting. Man, you might be so anointed at greeting. You shake their hand. They're like, good gracious, what was that? But he desires to use you. And that's our purpose is to glorify God with everything we are and everything that we have. We're going to get out of here. Listen, my heart today, honest to God, I I look at this room. I look at your faces. I get to do this every week. It is so awesome because like what I see, and and there's always faces I kind of pick out in the crowd and I kind of look at mostly because they're the ones not sleeping. And so I'm looking at them and I'm like, look, man, I see potential. I see all that God's put in you that he wants to pull out of you. I see all the things that God wants to do in your life. I don't know if you'll ever stand on a stage and preach. I don't know, but you know what? Stephen didn't start out preaching either. He started out going and waiting tables and the God used him to provide structure to a church so that that church could grow and explode. And the thing I'm asking you today is, are you ready? Has God prompted your heart? Not Brandon prompted your heart, but right now today, has your heart been prompted by the Spirit of God that it's time for me to step forward? Have you been prompted? Because I'm telling you, we're going to look at this next week. But when Philip goes into Samaria in the next few verses, it says the entire city was filled with joy. How awesome if we were used to proclaim the glory of God in such an amazing way that an entire city was transformed. And see, this is the thing I believe. I believe in the power of God. You know why? It changed me. If God can change me, he can change anybody. Am I perfect? No, but he's taking me from glory to glory. He's moving me further along and that's his desire for you. But are you ready? Are you willing? Have you been prodded today? Have you been prompted today by the power of the Holy Spirit to move, to go? You realize now's the time. I've known it, but I've never done it and I want to do it. Maybe you've been doing it, but you're like, God, today, man, I'm committing. I'm re-upping today, God. I am re-upping, and I'm going to be your hands and your feet. Wherever I go, God, I'm going to do it right here. I'm not walking out of here and letting this wane, but it's, I'm doing it right now. And this is what I'm going to do. Listen, listen, I, I, I don't, I'm tired of Christians being prompted and not responding. Right? Because all that leads to is a cool experience. It doesn't lead to life change. This is what I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you right now. Not because of me asking you this. And listen, don't feel guilty. Don't, 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 don't come down here because you feel guilty. Listen, this is cool. If you, if you don't come down, we're going to love you anyway. And I know right now when I said come down here, somebody else's hearts went, oh my God. I know, I know. But I'm asking you to make a public response to the prompting of God today.